0: Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the Kicking Back podcast. Today, I'm joined by the wonderful Jen Klempner. Aw, Hi
1: nice. Jen. Hiya.
0: How you doing?
1: Yeah, I'm good today, actually. Yeah. yeah. I'm really, really grateful to be here.
0: Yeah. I, I'm, you know what? This was it was kind of a semi-last-minute thing, but I'm mm. glad that we managed to, to figure this out. I yeah. Think we're going to talk about some, some good stuff today.
2: Yeah.
0: Hope so. So, Jen, for the people at home that don't know who you are... Do you want to give us a little bit about what it is you do?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I guess <laughs> right now at the moment, quite a few things. Mm. Uh, but uh, historically, I'm, uh, uh, for all intents and purposes, a musician. Yeah. I'm a singer, vocalist uh, and pianist. Singer, vocalist, is exactly the same thing. Uh, <laughs> I actually meant to say vocalist, pianist. I'm running on very little sleep. Uh, it's my excuse for everything. And um, I... Um, I used to be a session musician, I haven't done that for a while, so that's kind of, uh, that's a past. And uh, I do a bit of directing for choirs and bands and musical direction and uh, for theater. Um, I play a few instruments, piano, flute, percussion.
2: Oh, flute. Keyboard. Mm. Yeah, I know, I that know only that. came up
1: recently. I kind of forgotten about it. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, apparently I'm a flautist. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then I teach um, privately uh and i've got my own uh, independent uh, singing school and then um, which i've been running for a number of, of years and then i got into uh, higher education uh, teaching uh, 11 years ago now i think and um so i work with the Royal Northern College of Music where mm-hmm. i met your fine self yes. and selves yes um and been there for i think i'm on my fifth or sixth year there now doing stuff to do is my official job title now is artist development specialist Ooh. and it can only be said obviously with a plum in the mouth that um, sounds very fancy I felt like I had to say it with a plum in the mouth otherwise I <laughs> sound like a complete wank
2: <laughs> 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 um,
1: so yeah so many things and um, uh, I uh, I'm um, a researcher and I'm a mum probably most importantly I should have started with that
0: that's number one mum mum number two one
1: to two lovely lovely people <sighs>
0: It mm-hmm. so warms my cold dead heart it's, it's important delightful. it's important to say that's part of my own yeah of course, oh, of course. It's also
1: hardest job in the world
2: <laughs> <laughs> of course of course
0: mm-hmm. so how did you let's let's you know let's wind back mm-hmm. to the beginning Jen. yeah how did you get into like doing the music stuff did you have like did you come from a musical background with your family and, and that
1: yeah i did um a uh, really good question i so i, I I was going to say, I guess, like everybody, but I guess I've learned from meeting lots of musicians. There's no kind of one trajectory or mm. route with the, the whole musician thing. But I, I took lessons from being really little. In fact, according to my mum, I kicked my, little, uh, my older brother off the piano uh, when I was four. He was having lessons. And um, I did the uh, Associated Board grades. And then um, got to, like, GCSE, and, you know, you had to take your... Did you have that? We had to take your, your options. Uh, and you look, can only do like one arts.
0: Oh, you could only do one art. Yeah, I could only do one arts. Art subject. We, I think we were like, I think we could do whatever the hell we anyway, wanted. You know?
1: So I had to, I had to choose, and I and I went the theatre route, so I went drama. Okay. Um, so I actually went off to uni, um, to study theatre, right, and drama. Honestly, because um, it, doing music wasn't cool at the time. That's really sad to say. What I know, I know. But at my high school, just. Uh, being a musician and doing the music thing wasn't yeah. cool, and anyway, that's a whole a separate podcast. <laughs> um, but I guess the important thing is that I went off professionally to do the to do theatre and study theatre and acting, and I I did um did both a BA and an MA, and then it just off coming out of doing my MA and actually no, still doing it, and um I used to just uh, play randomly around London. I did like a few gigs, um, singing and playing, right, just. For fun, for hobby. And uh a kind of tenuous link connection got in touch with me, said oh my mates in the band and he um if they're looking for like a backing singer to like be interested I'm like, Yeah, sure, okay, whatever. Mm -hmm. Thinking it wasn't really a big deal and and um uh they hooked me up and I I went uh down to studio um oh they're like really famous studios in London. I, I can't remember uh, now where they are. It'll come to me in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> Just um, shout out randomly. Yeah, it's <laughs> there. Because everyone, everyone has like rehearsed or recorded there at some point. And I um, and, and went for what I thought was a jam and it was an audition fundamentally. Okay. And um, they weren't really looking for a backing singer. They were looking for a keyboard player. Um. Anyway, because I was kind of quite casual about it, um, they, they talked to me and um, and they... um. It turns out they were signed to Sony BMG. Right. Which even then I didn't really get what a big deal that was. And um, and um uh, yeah, their manager gave me a call and said, you know, we want you to sign a retainer for the band and commit to working and touring with them live for the next six months. Right. Um The band were called The Hoosiers. Uh, I can right. see... You right
0: just, and you'll uh, see on just, my website as well. I'll just I'll take that one tick off. Take that
1: one off now. Dumb. <laughs> um Which actually, like, there was a point kind of in my adult life and, and in teaching where if I said that word and all, I say the kids, but all the students would go, oh, like, no way. Yeah, and yeah. now it's like, sorry who? <laughs> 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 sorry fellas, if you listen to this at any point. And uh, it was like my kind of like calling. call. Anyway, so um, yeah, it was complete. So I I was very very fortunate. I basically fell into being um. A session musician yeah, for them. That's cool. And into working for a major record label, and um yeah, it was uh, they, the three guys, and uh, just me playing keyboards and doing backing singing, and um learned everything from ear. Right. No dots, no chords, nice. no sheets. Good. And then I, uh, I, I did it for a year with them. Yeah.
0: Right. That must have been an amazing experience
1: yeah it yeah it really was and um completely unexpected um, was it
0: quite a sort of departure from i guess obviously you were just doing like bargain stuff is it was it yeah did you feel comfortable in doing that or is it sort of like you just jumped in and just got I d- on with it
1: I surprisingly i did i think so music has has been the the underlying theme and yeah uh, the I can't escape from and I've mm. kept coming back to uh, my whole la- life and I guess in in one way shape or form is the one thing I'm, I'm I'm good at and um so yeah so it felt really natural just to be playing yeah felt natural to be performing as well um and I guess from a musical perspective as well it was it I, I didn't because I had no formal training I had no judgment or pretension about whether it was you know Difficult or whatever. Yeah. I just I I enjoyed it. I I enjoyed fundamentally being with them and and hanging out with them. They were, you know a good bunch of lads and and also I was just really green about the industry. So I generally have the character that you just treat everyone the same. You know with some yeah. kind of like warmness and respect. So it, it was it was really it, it was easy for me in that respect. I guess the shock came in terms of learning the realities of the music industry, learning what it meant to actually be a session musician which um, you guys will know about and um, it's incredibly hard work, or can be incredibly hard work and um, there's a lot of pressure. Uh, I learned about the realities of being a minority. Um, so I was generally always the only girl in the room. right? Um, the only female session musician I came across ever. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then the realities of, of being on tour just from a physical and mental point of view um wasn't prepared for that yeah and then i think um i did have some amazing experiences so when you reel them off as kind of like in a cv type of way or you tell the story and i remember my friends at the time actually were like you know my friend jen and she's like she's such a a rock star and it's really glamorous and (laughs) you're really proud and excited by what i was doing and got to be on tv and stuff and i was quite nonchalant about that i think because i think maybe my instinct was like if i get phased about this then it Maybe becomes so much more of a big deal that I ca- I I can't handle it and um right, and yeah. also I w- I was just playing their stuff and and I don't know just um but um it the the realities of it is is it's way less glamorous than it appears um which I could go into way more yeah, detail and I, I guess mean, is relevant to yeah to I mean it obviously
0: like about. we I know sort of what you're talking about but I guess yeah. Joe blogs yeah on the street doesn't really. Yeah, they just see the other side of it. Don't yeah, they? yeah. Exactly. Are, so, like, what, what, what sort of things?
1: So that yeah, the, the realities are. It's um, I guess being in in the spotlight. That uh, it's very kind of visual, aesthetic world. Um, mm. so I struggled with like being seen and like being observed like all the time. So um, uh, and then. Uh, yeah, there's there's an adrenaline that goes with like playing in front of people. Yeah, um, every night. Um, but it, so I'd experienced massive highs and massive lows. So, uh, just say for example, we'd go on stage, uh, we would do a cracking show. Um, the Hoosiers were a band. They had tracks. Uh, they played to track. Right. And um, uh, their first album is is fantastic. Actually, I'm not just saying that, but um, <laughs> uh, but uh, it was like everything was just like yeah, really really tight. And I remember um, we did live at made of Vale obviously big deal and a uh, really big deal to the guys and it's their band it was their baby and it was their record co- so I was working for them and there was a point where actually that realisation hit that I wasn't their mate and um I was their employee I guess effectively and my job was to make them look good it wasn't you know I wasn't the the artist I'm not the pivotal figure and uh, when it came to made Vale I think nerves got the better of me mm. um with that realisation and uh it, it it was live on camera, but it, there wasn't any room for error, right. uh, especially in terms of like their music. And, um, I remember, yeah, I remember playing it and I remember like noticing like all the fuck ups that I made and stuff. And their, um, their producer who was, um, Toby Rafferty. I think that was his surname. He was a former keyboard player for jamari Cry. Okay. He passed away a couple of years ago, yeah, really, really yeah. sadly. Um, and, uh, had a reputation for being quite, hard nosed and um and he produced their whole album pulled me to one side and basically said not acceptable like that's that's not what we've brought you on board to do and um and said you need to you need to put way more hours in practicing and um and working to click and um and I was like yes Toby no Toby three backs all Toby and um (sighs) and uh, it was really yeah it was really scary basically you know it was an ultimatum it was like you can't afford to fuck up again and you'll you'll lose your job and Mm -hmm. it was my job. It was my full time job. It was paying the rent and everything else. And um but then he suggested that I played to clip without the keyboard. So I'd we had a BPM um and I got a little like electronic battery operated metronome and um I would basically just mark out the key um the chord sequences with my hands. Right. Um so something like uh worried about Ray. I remember the intro, oh my gosh, like flashes over me. <laughs> uh, <it was> like, <laughs> do, do 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 truth be told. Yeah. And it's it's keyboard lit, at led. And um, so I basically do that, like listen to the click in my headphones um, backstage every night and just map out the chord sequences to each tune, just right. to the metronome. So it wasn't actually with a keyboard or music. It takes, it's kind of fairly, fairly kind of brutal in it. The, the upside is I'm like a human metronome. So You've I'm very sensitive. To, that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so I did
1: it uh, in later years as a like, choir director, I'd be like, no, you're offbeat. <laughs>
2: I'm like, no, we
1: definitely were, you were. because um, yeah, I've just got that that ingrained like sense of um uh if pulse. Yeah. Uh yeah, so that was hard. Um it was really lonely for me because I was the only girl. Um mm. not that that should make a de- any difference, but um uh I, I guess just I didn't have any like companions on tour with me. I was far away from family. Um I guess there was an element of people were so proud of me and thought it was really glamorous and Mm. I was really fortunate. Jen, so lucky to have this opportunity. And, and I know now especially people would give their right leg to have that opportunity. And, um, so I didn't feel like I deserved to have anything to complain about, but, um, and so I never actually would say like I'm bored or I'm lonely Mm. or I'm frustrated, um, or, you know, wish the guys were nicer to me or wish I had this, you know, I, I didn't want to c- kind of complain. So I just generally stayed quiet. Um, and we had a, a straight, no drinking before show policy. So it's not very rock and roll. <laughs> um, and then generally like no after show. I mean, occasionally we kind of let our hair down, but, uh, because it was like back to back nights, you couldn't really afford to be hanging the next day. Yeah. And, um, and then it was, it was just generally rough getting on a tour bus and then setting off for the next city. If you're, like blazing drunk or if you've got a hang, hangover or stuff. So not saying that, you know, alcohol is what makes the kind of rock and roll bus go around, but, um,
0: you've got to blow up some steam. Yeah, we, there right? wasn't
1: there wasn't a, yeah. So I, my, especially on tour, my days would get generally consist of like waking up in a strange city and I'd go and explore and take pictures and, um, do some shopping and they'd have like a general, uh, they'd have like a, maybe a press interview or yeah. like they that album band stuff to do. Um, and then being completely honest, which I always am, the the more they kind of catapulted in terms of their success and fame, the more isolated I became because we had to have that separation. Mm. Um, there was a lot of questions in the press of like, who is the girl in the background? And I actually made a really fatal error once of um, texting into Capital Radio. Uh, it was when their s- a single release was coming up and I thought, I'll do the guys a favor. I'll text in and say like, you need to play their tune. Mm. And I said, like, I thought, oh, they'd be more likely to do it if I say, like, it's gender. And the next thing, my phone rings, and it was Capital Radio. And they basically in- interviewed me live on air. Oh, their band manager went, ape shit. Ooh. And I, you see, you can feel that as, like, musicians, yeah. can't you? But me, yeah. green, 22, 23, was like, I just it. didn't think anything of it. And yeah. then also when the phone rang and I answered it, and I was actually in a cab on the way to the ICA to do iTunes gig. And anyway, they were fuming and um and i get it now but i yeah. didn't at the time and there were loads of <laughs> errors that i made like that and <laughs> and uh yeah i was young and didn't really know if it was what i wanted to do it was yeah. just, just like people must be listening to me going like this chick is she for real come on be grateful but um yeah those were those were the realities in terms yeah. of my experience and
0: i guess well what did you what did you learn from that experience
1: um <laughs> uh, I learnt, I learn I learn a lot about like about what you what you need to be uh, a touring musician uh on a personal level. Um so I learned that actually uh that support unit sounds really cliched. Um if I'll interject there um and I've repeated this to quite a few students along the way. Um my my brother is and um, was um a professional drummer as well. I remember speaking to him somewhere uh, along the road on tour and um, had some like quite dark moments uh, and um, dealt with it in not great ways (laughs) on occasion as well. And I think it was possibly after like one of those and I was just like, you know, Dan, how do you, um, sorry, I shouldn't say his name, but how do you... um, yeah how did you deal with this and he said like it's not human to have these like major highs and major lows like so you are basically constantly being thrown up and down it's no wonder that like you end up feeling mentally unstable and feeling like you've lost a grip of reality and all the rest of it he said that basically when you have the really amazing shows and you're on a complete high and the euphoria gets to you and 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 even you know the your ego's inflated and you're thinking yes i feel amazing and Mm. like and it's so great that you did such a good job you you consciously level yourself like you bring yourself down and uh, and go oh, it was my job it's my job to play a good gig it's my job to play the tunes it's my job to kind of show up and give the audience what they want and kind of bring yourself down a peg or two and yeah. level it out but equally when you have the major lows of like everything went wrong the producer pulled me up and um I spoke to Capital Radio I wasn't supposed to and everyone's really <laughs> cross with me um is to bring yourself up again and go okay you're human you make mistakes this is like part of what being an artist makes. i'm sure he didn't use those words particularly if he ever listens to this and goes like oh, i don't remember saying that at all uh that's the memory that i have of that conversation and it was it was one of the most like helpful pieces of mm. advice that i ever got and and i um i relate to students so that was a critical one um i i learned a lot about the business of the music industry um i had no idea how to negotiate a retainer um, I <laughs> probably could have been paid an awful lot more money. Yeah. Um, I had no idea about like um about uh, rights uh for being broadcast on television or radio. Um, so I had to figure that all out for myself. I had no idea how to like I guess uh, manage myself. Um clearly speaking to radio uh, <laughs> when you're not the artist and you're a session yeah. musician. I had no idea that that wasn't, sorry, I keep bashing tables. on the swing. Um, I had no idea that that was like not okay. And um, yeah. um, and then I learned fundamentally that reputation precedes you really frighteningly quickly. Um, And one of the things I am actually proud of is that although I did fuck up and I did make mistakes and I wasn't a professional or trained by any means, um, i had a reputation for being a likeable cheerful soul and mm-hmm. and, a, and generally conducting myself like you know in a not horrendous kind of way and um and then when we when i finished my contract at the end of the year and i um which was kind of a mutual agreement of them I think them realising they needed someone who was going to be in the background session musician. And right. they had a guy I'd work would with them on an album and he was available and it made sense. But also I'd kind of come to the end where I thought, actually, this isn't sustainable for me, I don't think, yeah. emotionally. And then I thought, I don't want to be that Hoosiers girl in the background for the rest of my career. And I wanted to see if anyone else would hire me. And they did because yeah. I had a reputation for being good and reliable and likeable. So I, I got a, a fair bit of work off the back of that yeah
0: so. I think it's um obviously you were young and stuff but like it's strange that uh that sense of feeling vulnerable um is like you kind of deny yourself do you know what I mean so in terms of like when you I mean I, I did it as well when I was younger I'm a bit more with it now <laughs> but like yeah just like feeling like oh I shouldn't feel like this and do you know yeah. what I mean and and you obviously you were thrown in the deep end and, on this sort of in this journey yeah and um i just wonder if like now in the industry if there's Mm -hmm. a bit more support for that sort of thing or if it is still just a bit cold and i mean it's it's the machine at the end of the day isn't it like if you're not if you're not a part of the the cog yeah let's get another one and throw that in and it's it's funny you say that
1: because um because obviously now i i my um I say obviously but now my relationship with the industry i guess the perspective that i get of it and access i get of it is as um yeah an industry professional i guess more like a consultant kind of level yeah um so i do like i do collaborate with more industry pr- professionals i guess from a, a an informative point of view rather than as a, mu- a musician and then as a as an educator um and you'd be surprised actually considering how far we have come in terms of um conversation around like mental health and well-being mm. how many people still go like i i shouldn't feel like this in fact only recently <laughs> like uh, there's a uh, you know quite a few students of mine who were who were gigging and working with bands and got some really great opportunities and uh, and they find themselves kind of saying that it's tough and then they go but you know i shouldn't really i shouldn't say that but like but 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 and they kept coming back to the point, and i kind of end up interrupting them and go no you've got to have permission to say like that doesn't mean that you're not grateful yeah it doesn't mean that you're an asshole because you know <laughs> there's someone else out there who you know wants this more or whatever it's mm. not i don't i don't think our um our feelings are comparable really to one another but the other thing that i've learned as well is that the industry is still a bit of a bitch like yeah it's it has changed in loads of ways, but the, Certainly in my opinion, there still seems to be this like uh, culture of industry moogles where um, it's really important to look cool and it's really important <laughs> to behave and it's really important to be likeable and it's, there's a yeah. lot of name dropping and there's, you know, it's the ne- next niche thing and I don't know what I'm talking about really. Do you know what I'm talking about? I
0: get what you mean. There's still yeah. that. I mean... Particularly in like the pop, pop How industry. Do you put that's it? it's like I don't know, it's the it's the the, the shiny plastic packaging on top of a like a CD case. Do you know what I mean? That veneer yeah, is still there, yeah. isn't it? Um I think it's and
1: there's a lot of chat, like there's a lot of bullshit. There's basically. a lot of bullshit and there's yeah. a lot of small talk. And and I think sadly as well, like, because it is a money <laughs> money driven enterprise as yeah. well. There's there's a lot of schmoozing and kind of like I've gotta impress this person uh i remember someone won't name names saying to me like you know jen best behavior like that person's a vip and i'm like "Everyone's a a vip man like yeah. i'm not gonna like you know be better or be nicer or try harder with someone because it's important to in- impress them i just that's my perspective anyway so and uh, and I, I see that a lot kind of secondhand through like students going in and um and then, yeah, uh, coming in and liaising with industry pro- professionals as, as well. That said, I do think there is a much clearer kind of framework and community within the industry mm. of like, it feels like it's a bit of a buzzword at the moment, of authenticity. <laughs> 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 and like, oh, basically just really decent, um, interesting, good, hardworking people yeah. who love music and care about music and just want to make really good music. Mm. And that's what it's about. At the, end of the
0: Yeah, level. I do wonder. Like with these, you know, obviously you needing to be in a certain type of person stuff. Does it actually come naturally to some people, or do the is it just like something yeah. that you have to do? You know what I mean, because obviously,
1: what do you think? Like I, that's I just who they it. are. Yeah, or just or like do you know what I mean they, like the like smooths and
0: the Schmoozer and all that? Like, does is there are there actually people that are out there that could just go in and do it and they don't even yeah. think twice about it, or is it just like? because I couldn't do that no
1: uh, way I think it's all perception as well isn't it yeah because I'm the same I would say I I really hate that stuff but I've had it said to me from the outside oh but Jen but you're so confident and you're so articulate and you seem to be really good at that stuff and and um I still like completely disagree I um I think part of my downfall as well is that like I do have this um tendency to just just say it as it is. And I just like, it's like a tap that you switch on and then you go, oh shit, it's broken. You can't turn it off. Someone turn yeah. it off. <laughs> um, and, uh, um, so uh, yeah, I have like uh, the danger, I guess. Like I'm a bit of a wild card of that transparency and that in the industry sometimes isn't acceptable. Or like, yeah. okay. Um, and whereas other people like are able to like switch on, switch off and all they put the hat on and then they take it off at the end of the day. Mm. and um. And I present, I guess, like so, and I do still see it, and I actually think it is a skill and um, and a valuable skill. But I guess the bigger question is like, when do you call bullshit? And
0: yeah, when
1: and and or maybe more importantly, like you got to think about how that makes other people feel about themselves. Um, Because I think for me, being in that, I got so tired of the bullshit, and I got so tired of feeling like. I had to try and fit uh, a certain shape or a certain mm. expectation. And um, I don't know, like maybe this is uh, relevant or, or irre- irrelevant, but like I, I remember asking with the Hoosiers, I was like, do I like have a costume or cause they, uh, they had a branding that was in terms of like their um, fashion and yeah. an identity that was quite quirky. And, um, and as they became more successful, they got dressed and stuff and, I didn't have any of that. Oh, do, do, do. So I had to little dress little. myself. Which was quite fun on the one hand, but um but then daunting on the other hand and I was gonna say especially as a female, but actually probably just as hard uh, for a guy. But um uh, the, I yeah, I said what you know, what what do I wear? And they're like, short skirts, heels, boom. Like someone said that to me now, but fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, um glad. whereas I was like, Okay like yeah yeah i remember i worked for a, a record label at some point you can ask me about that if you want um and uh my boss told me to you know could, you, you could maybe sexy it up a bit jen and i was like all right <laughs> because mm. that's what you do as a female that's what you you're expected you do. to do yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you play the game and uh and i played the game a bit and i but then yeah towards the end of the year i was like this is really breaking me down and um it's one of the things i'm not I'm not okay compromising anymore.
0: Yeah, that's fair. And also, mm. you know, we we all do these things, try things out, and realize oh, that's not for me. And you yeah. know, yeah. same yeah. with me. That like, I thought music was for me, and <laughs> it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's definitely not. You know, <laughs> again, it's just all the bullshit attached to it. I'm just yeah, like, and that's alright. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing wrong with saying I give it a go and. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: So yeah, what was the record label? It's called what was it? I'm gonna see if I can remember. Beats. Uh, ro- 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 root Roots Beetroots. Yeah, roots root. Like a Beach uh, Root
1: Just got that You've only just got that <laughs> No I think <laughs> I think I got oh, it a no. while ago But I forgot
0: And now it's just come back But then it's again. just like
1: Yeah I've been d- sleep deprivation over the last three years i've been robbed of many things and truth has been one of them yeah i always thought of it like two separate words of like beat and root which is how they yeah so beat beat root records i um i was again do reputation it's one of the things i do love about like music and i've talked to, to a few students about recently is like the um the whole thing of like Oh, I've got a mate who plays that like well mm. oh, I'm not available but my mate will debt for me or yeah. like the reputation thing of like word by mouth is really really powerful it gets you a lot of gigs so um I yeah I got contacted I can't even remember by who to do some was it backing vocals backing vocals initially and then they found out I played the flute and then it was like oh do you want to play flute on this EP <laughs> right. um so I I basically uh, got brought in to record an EP for one of the artists who was on beach Root um it was called actually no it was no, was, was it John? I think it was for the artist John McEwen. But he was also in a band. He fronted a band called Hero. Right. Let's just say it. Worst band name ever.
0: Well, I don't know. I've heard worse ones than that, Jen. don't norm- and I, Well, I mean, I, I can't remember it, like, on top of it now, <laughs> But I normally ask people about, Hero. like, you know, they're, like, teenage band names. Yeah. And guaranteed, like, 95% of the time, it's just the worst.
1: I should, the worst.
0: Some... But, I mean, Hero is pretty 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 poor, poor, but they were
1: lovely guys again. (laughs) But, um, uh, yeah, anyway, so I I got brought in to do uh, an EP and with their artists, and then, um, it was a strange thing, really. And again, a learning curve that, uh, especially like independent record labels, uh, they need to have money coming in from somewhere, yeah. So, you often get um private investors or private owners, or just not a lot of money, really. You do it for the love of it, um. And uh the artist was also a private investor okay. um, so him and a par- his partner actually uh, bought Beat Root records um and uh, and restructured it and in the restructure, I happened to be kind of be between jobs and they were like, "Hey Jen, come and work for us hmm? which I'm really grateful for and um and it was actually a really exciting time because they had this, some like really cool offices in Camden and um uh, and I I'd done a fair bit of admin and uh kind of geek out a bit on organization and stuff and i, I don't know i was i, I was <laughs> it was quite a excitable little puppy <laughs> <It> was like <laughs> just r- really keen and eager to yeah, just, just yeah. you know i'll do work and whatever um so yeah so i i ended up working for them alongside recording for them as well and then um uh, so it worked yeah it worked kind of quite nicely hand in hand with session musician stuff and then right. yeah
0: so were you doing what were you we doing is it just admin stuff it was it admin management st- it was admin was it- to begin with right okay
1: and then i'm saying this with a laugh i basically like oh i don't like using the the the, the b word b o double s y uh in when referring to well just generally referring to girls particularly uh but i was that uh i'm quite I'm, i can be quite like um i take initiative and uh and i had good of management skills and stuff and uh, and we brought a few other people in and he basically promoted me and said like Jen, I want you to manage the label right, so okay. <laughs> again uh-huh. i had no idea what i was doing um but actually i do look back on that and go I, jo- I think i did a pretty fine job yeah um so we uh there was a small team of us um two of us were musicians another one was a drummer and he did a and r um alongside session drumming as well um and, yeah, our job was to, like, build up an artist roster. Um, so we had quite a fun time, like, basically going to, to gigs in London, yeah. trying to, like, scout bands and bring them on to the label, which, in my time that I was there, we never succeeded in doing. Uh, we did. We had a few. <laughs> I thought you, you were good at the job.
2: <laughs>
1: well, it was very organised. Well, we, no, we had John. We had John on the label. Yeah. So, actually, so I managed John's album campaign. Right. And... Uh, so i i had to learn how to like how the hell do you get someone to do artwork for a label and mm. then how do you organize streaming and distribution and then radio and i actually don't ask me please because i can't remember but i had to <laughs> learn how to do that right. um from scratch and um i'm with this small team and i um and we brought up on a guy um to do like to basically uh, do our digital management and and website and stuff and he uh, I can't and we put out an advert and um we brought in a guy i won't say his name because i don't want to embarrass him but he's now working for warner brothers like pretty high, oh, high nice. up and that was his like first job in like record and i'm quite proud of that and, yeah. and he's a really decent guy and really bloody good at what he did as well so um and then obviously i've gone on to do what i've gone on to do and um our Ray and i guys, i think he's still like session drumming and stuff so it was a tiny team and uh we nearly got Anna Calvi. Have you come across Anna Calvi?
0: Heard of the name. Look her
1: up. She's really amazing. What's the
0: what's the vibe? The, the vibe music? is
1: the vibe is three-piece. Yeah. Electric guitar led, front woman, electric guitar more a soundscape than like melodic like lead yeah. rhythm instrument. Um and a drummer and percussionist. And lots of like I think that she had a oh, what's that steel pan drum? Oh yeah, I think she played one of those, and uh, she's got a really big voice, Anna, and uh, lots of kind of like jorony, like drawn out but quite like edgy and rocky as well. Um, and percussive. I thought quite a lot of vibe there going on.
0: That was like one of the most, one of the best descriptions of a of a band that I've ever heard. i a been,
1: real musician. Yeah,
0: like right. like whenever like I ask people like that, oh, I've not heard that band. What they like, they're like, oh, it's like kind of like indie rock, or a, bit something like, a bit like Oasis. But yeah, not. that was so. <laughs> I could almost hear it in my head, Jen. That yes. was wonderful.
1: Well, now you have to go and listen to her and you'll go, yeah, it doesn't sound like that. No
2: way, no Yeah, I was near. a big
1: fan of Anna, actually. And uh, I couldn't tell you why we didn't. I was, I was, I remember being very frustrated why yeah. why we didn't manage to get her get her on board and stuff. So we nearly had her. I, um, I basically got to the end of the year and I guess it's all kind of like relevant into what I'm doing now um and suffered massive burnout, massive right. like living in London. I think I, I was on my like, seventh year living in London. um working hard partying hard yeah. um yeah not earning a great deal and and a, a bit of kind of like actually i'm not really sure and, and the very like industry 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 all the time and, yeah. and having to learn to do a record label management job on my own from scratch with no kind of like professional mentoring or support or direction or anything uh no disrespect to to beat and to the guys who took me on because it actually was a, an amazing opportunity and they, yeah. and they did um they did they supported me as best, as best they could. Um, so I decided to take some time out. And um, I got signed off sick by, m- by my doctor with uh, stress and anxiety. Um, and took a bit of a sabbatical, in inverted commas, um, right. back home up north. So I came back to spend some time with my parents. And um, and actually realized it was what I really needed was to step back. Yeah, And actually com- doing that and coming back to London, it was like for the first time my ears suddenly went, whoa, it's noisy here. <laughs> and uh, people are like, rude. <laughs> I, I Never bothered me before.
0: No, I, d- I mean, I always thought when I started the music journey, I was like, right, finish uni, go now to London, yeah. do that thing. And then just got there and i was just like it's not a thing guys no you don't have to do I it i hated it
1: looking at the camera <laughs> don't do it <laughs> yeah it, it's funny that. how it is like a thing yeah. I, I mean i i went because um I, I fell in love with the city so i i mean lots of cities are like this but um they do say when you're a londoner and you catch the bug and you it is really infectious and you cannot imagine life outside of it yeah and uh, and I know a lot of people still like that. And they say, and you ask them the million dollar question, oh, would you ever think of leaving London? No, no, what? Leaving London? <laughs> you know, the countryside's nice and pleasant. And there's lots of other things that are, in, you know, interesting and fanciful to see outside of it, but existing and having, you know, an actual life outside of London. And um and yeah, I was one of those. And yeah. I liked being, I liked being lonely. I liked kind of being lone wolf. I liked, I got used to like ridiculous commutes across the city to go and see a friend. and um i didn't notice people being rude i didn't notice the 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 noise or the dirt or anything i didn't notice the expense because it was all i ever knew in terms of my adult life and it was just suddenly like my senses kind of became alert to that yeah and i was tired and i'd had enough and um wanted to come home
0: yeah that's fair that's yeah so fair. um
1: so yeah so i i it was less of a decision to leave beetroot records and more of a decision to leave london and uh and regroup
0: yeah yeah i cut Yeah. I yeah. couldn't do it, I yeah. couldn't do it. I hate rude
2: people.
0: I struggle with it now,
1: yeah. so I go down and I get get really like anxious and I know yeah. um, London, Me and my husband joke about it when we go, London hates couples and wants them to die. You can't <laughs> walk around <laughs> holding hands in London. You're constantly being like separated. <laughs> on like, around. yeah, work at yeah. different speeds. So.
0: Yeah. Um, and also like, I just think, cause I'm big on like uh, meditation and like presence. And you know, oh, being really cool. being here, yeah. you know what I mean. Not being up here, or you know, I just think all these people like running around so stuff. It's like, are, are any of you like paying attention to actually what's going on right now? Yeah. And like, where where's your head and what? Because yeah, London is a beautiful city. There is are really beautiful yeah. things. But and, and I get it even here. Like I'll just like walk around the city and there's like a beautiful sunset or something, or you know, yeah, some birds yeah. flying around and there's people just like on the phone or whatever. I'm just like, you're missing it. Yeah. You're here once if you believe that. And you know, you're just gonna spend the rest of your life just seeing how great everyone's everyone else's life is. Wow, yeah, look definitely. at that. And just like mm. I don't know. It, that whole city just gives off that that vibe to me. I just can't I can't yeah. connect with that at all.
1: Yeah, you sound very grounded. Yeah. I really, I really admire that. I need I need a bit of that.
0: <laughs> I like simplicity, yeah. you know?
1: Yeah. But you're right, it does it does lack that kind of in the moment, being present, and yeah, um, I couldn't put my finger on why that is exactly. It's not just a city mentality or something. Quite it's London. it's
0: that thing of like we're we're human beings, not human doings, mm-hmm. you know. And it's very much a city of doing, isn't it? It's a work city, yeah. And you yeah. know, it's so easy to get lost in that thing, and I do it myself with with my work and stuff. But yeah, at least there's space to step back and kind of. Yeah, you need to reset. I I, th- I think our mind is like a it's like a machine or a you know and you can't just have that running constantly because yeah, you just yeah. go you just crash. Yeah, you need to like stop, like cool down, you know, give yourself some space, and then mm. you can do your work better, and you yeah. know you can be a better person, and you can be more attentive to people, yeah. and life's a bit better. I, I think.
1: I think. You know? I think over time I've realized like the importance the importance of the environment and mm. it's um. So, I guess with the Hoosiers experience, and, and I guess just living down there for so long as well, it's one of the things that I reflect back in mentoring uh, in terms of like, you know, uh, people making the next career choices, the next professional choices. And they tend to be led by like, what's going to make me most successful or mm. what's going to look best or. And, and actually, I try to encourage others more towards like that, like, uh, what do you need like, as a person to thrive? talking about the physical environment so how much air is around you it might be like might be that you need you need green stuff you need <laughs> you need outdoorness or, yeah. um and then it's and then you often end up talking about the people the people who are around you and um and i i'm uh yeah i'm a people person and um uh and a, a human being and i like i like i like transparency and i like i like um uh Feeling safe, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Within my environment and around other people and stuff. And at the end of the day, I just went where I felt safest at that point in time. And yeah, and still am.
0: Fair. Yeah. So how how do we go? We go from the leap. From, yeah. So we've got we've done the London thing. We've come up to Manchester. Oh, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> so you go up to Manchester. Well, is it you? you, you start so the Cheshire. London, Cheshire. Yeah. So I'm okay. I'm
1: on the outskirts of Manchester. So right, I, cool. uh, if anyone's heard of it, Nottsford.
0: Oh, it's very nice around there. It it's very nice. wow. I just happened upon it. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, my 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 cushy parents um, got themselves a, a little flat there. Oh, um, nice. A few years prior, it was basically kind of like a holiday flat. So we go mm. and spend the weekends there and stuff. It's a jolly good idea, Mum yeah. and Dad. And um, they've ended up settling there, so they they live uh, there and um, and have a house there. And um, initially, I went back just to kind of. Um, yeah, uh, Lodge with them <laughs> I was trying to look for the word then. Lodge <sighs> with them uh, Not live with them not, I'm not, we're not going home I'm not moving in with my mum and dad temporary. I was like, It's temporary. temporary It's temporary <laughs> It's <was> temporary
2: <permanent. laughs> <laughs> And
1: actually A few years later It was them who were like So Jen <laughs> Are you going to go <laughs> Are you going to go So um, the idea was Yeah it would be temporary And actually to be honest Temporary being up north It was oh, I'm just going to spend A bit of time And then I'll go back to London And yeah. then very quickly realised It was the best thing And then um, I, I think it was I, like, A year and a half I'd been with them and I met my husband in Knotsford. Okay. Uh, work, he was working in a bar and I was playing in a bar. Ah, so I did get back to music. Nice. And I, but I had to start all that from scratch because all my, like my network and my connections yeah. and anyone who I played with and, and knew. And uh, again, I lived in this premise that gigging only existed in London. <laughs> she, shows only existed in London. So um, learning how how to do music and play music and who was going to play with me again was really tough. Yeah. Um. And I had to work to, earn a living to do other things in lots of other ways first and um, so I, I did bar work and I uh, I was a restaurant host, which basically meant like greeting people at the door. and
0: I could see you being very good at that, Jen.
1: Yeah, I like. Uh, funnily enough, I was. I mean, I, I think ideally the job description was be nice to the VIPs, which I just said earlier, I'm yeah. shit at. <laughs> well, I'm not shit <laughs> at, I just treat everyone the same, but that's maybe the why I was good yeah. is because I treat everyone with the same respect. Um, you know, generally kind of like warm and chatty, and um, uh, and uh, yeah, and then actually through that, I I met someone who uh, played keys, and we got together and started uh, form uh, formed a duo, and then um, got the got to start playing covers. Uh, right. uh, uh In um, he had all the gear, I didn't have any of the gear, and definitely no idea. Uh, around nutsford and nutsford's actually quite um a busy kind of nightlife scene there's quite a lot of live music and yeah stuff. Yeah. so we we were really lucky to kind of break into that um in the bars i think it helped working in the bars as well yeah like oh we'll, we'll give them a go <laughs> <laughs> um and we played for quite a, we had a duo called greer and hume
0: greer and hume
1: yeah so when i was an actor <laughs> um yeah so when I, I tried to break back into acting actually so i right. I, I, uh, I had a bit of a kind of existential crisis of like, I'm not doing what I wanted to do. Like I'm not, I'm not very good at music. And, um, and, uh, I move away from the mic so much. Sorry. That's fine. Probably like lost half of this conversation. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And, uh, and, and suddenly thought, Oh, I really miss acting. Like, wasn't I supposed to go? Like I was supposed to be an actor and that never happened. So like the ripe old age of 27 decided to, um, have another shot, uh, at, um, at being a professional actor again. And uh, you have to have a unique identity as an actor when you right. you you go on a, like um, an online CV form called Spotlight, uh, Spotlight for Actors, and there there can't be more than one, so there can't be more than one Jen Potter, can't be more than one Jennifer Potter. Um, I don't think there was a Jen Potter, but I I I worked for the Hoosiers as Jen Potter's—that's my maiden name.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I think I think maybe I like. I've never delved into this before, but like, I think maybe I thought, oh, I need to start again. I need to be something different. So I didn't want to work. Oh, no. And actually someone from the industry advised me that it didn't work as a name. It didn't work. Like it was too perfunctory. Jen Potter. And Potter was too masculine. Whatever that is. Right. I, I, okay. This is all just coming back to me now. <laughs> so, and there was already a Jennifer Potter right. acting on Spotlight. So I needed a new name. So
0: what was your, did you get, you got? You so I went with it.
1: Jennifer Greer
0: jennifer greer it does it's a bit more floral okay yeah. but...
1: so I, I i operated as that and then I um, i started teaching an acting school and i decided to continue operating as that and so when i joined up with my friends uh we yeah we used both names and stuff it worked at the time and then honestly when i met my husband and asked me to marry him uh i was really grateful to just get rid of all the names (laughs) and just start over say my married name is klempner if anyone's wondering where that came from and and to be honest everyone has always called me jen i it feels familiar it feels home uh not jenny
0: not jenny yeah i have serious like aversion i'll write that down it's jen with two n's as we clarified before the podcast very (laughs) important very important damn you 16 year
1: old <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah so i started gigging um around the scene in in, in with him and uh i can't remember what your question was now i just like we was just on life story basically no, that fine. For so
0: five. i guess how did you get from you move up to the north you're gigging yeah and then obviously you, you move over to teaching at the rncm
2: yeah
0: um
1: how did that happen
0: how did that happen
1: yeah so uh i guess most actors and musicians come across uh have to face the um somewhat inevitable prospect of like supplementing their career with um with teaching yeah and uh, so as an actor uh, i came to that and i i had this aversion to teaching because my mom was a teacher so i was like, i'm just not gonna i'm not doing what my mom did i like
0: yeah why does everyone do that I don't know. My mum always said, like, oh, you're going to be a great music teacher one day. I was like, I'm never teaching music.
1: Yeah. Never, ever, I mean, maybe ever. it's like a teenage angst thing. So I my think it is.
0: An amazing yeah. teacher. Like, <laughs> and now
1: I'm really proud to follow in her footsteps. Yeah, yeah. But um, she went early years. And um, I, I think I, anyway, so and, and people started asking me to teach them singing. I say people, like, you know, random... a sister or a friend of a friend said, yeah. know have you ever th- thought of teaching? So I'd started, like, um, dabbling with a bit of like one-to-one teaching and um I, uh, I basically came across a drama school that was based up north Um I really needed the money <laughs> and um, <laughs> uh, who were looking for a musician and actor to teach music skills to actors it's quite a specific skill set yeah and the the industry at that time was in like big demand for what they call actor musicians or actor singers and generally in my experience uh, you have two types of actors you have like like professional level singer actors who go into musical theater yeah or you have actor actors actor actors who can't sing won't sing you're not making me mm -mm, not doing it and um the drama school that i worked for uh didn't attract musical theater actors it was straight screen stage actors so i um anyway I, i i went for that job basically to supplement income sorry guys i wasn't I mean, I was interested, but it wasn't a passion of mine, if yeah. I'm really honest. Yeah, yeah. And it was higher education as well. I had, not, I had no idea like what higher education teaching meant. Um, in terms, of, I had no idea about pedagogy. Uh, I had no idea how to do a scheme of work or a lesson plan or anything, really. I just had a little bit of um, one-to-one teaching. And um, I'd got into doing some stage school teaching as well to, right. to littleies. Um, and I knew that I was really interested in teaching adults um, just because I felt like you could be more yourself. Um, at that yeah. level.
0: And also, they're, they're more uh, engaged with what you're doing. Just like uh, If you're teaching yeah. like, younger children and stuff, they're not necessarily there because they want to be.
1: Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I struggled with that, actually. Yeah. Um, I think I, I'm quite a passionate person. So, mm. I'm. It, it was it was easier for me to like share pas- passion
2: yeah
1: um and share skills on a kind of like a and which is what I see myself now as a teacher less of a teacher and more of a like a collaborator and a facilitator and and it's a, like a sharing of skills mm. um so yeah I was really fortunate to get the job and I my, I had a master's degree uh at, you know a well known institution institution I went to Royal Academy of Dramatic Art um so. Yeah, it got me. It ticked the boxes to to get me that job. Right. But when I set about it, and I was twenty seven, I was really green, and um I think I had in mind that a teacher was someone who had to stand up in front of a group of people and be better. And and there might be people listening to you going well, yeah, obviously, duh. <laughs> um, and but like, and, and then show them how much they knew, and make sure right. that they could hand on that knowledge, and then it be quantifiable like we, you could assess quantifiably that they then knew that stuff mm. and it's way more than that <laughs> <And> it's <laughs> way more arduous and um somewhere along the line of um i got married that that first year that i was teaching and um carried on gigging and um and actually gave up acting and it was when i got married and um acting is a different industry um in the sense that you don't get jobs through reputation really not acting jobs anyway right and you you're also held up to um a a list of kind of credentials but also like a pool of like types of of casting types right and uh and casting is uh yeah it's pretty brutal so I, i guess i realized that i was in this massive pool of like average height um slim brunette vaguely attractive whatever you know whatever you're gonna call like me i was in a massive pool so yeah. i didn't have a niche um right, okay. like i didn't have tattoos and piercings at the time and and actually that was like frowned upon because because you then really like putting yourself in a, a small category but in order to get jobs in that like in that pool and for the age bracket you you needed something to stand out about you and um and you needed to make massive sacrifices you needed to be prepared to go to auditions at a drop of a hat so you'd you'd drop your paid job and and I guess with the responsibility of getting married and, you know, it was not just me anymore. And, yeah. And um, I think my husband turned around one one day and I, I was talking to him about it and saying that, I'm just not sure if I want to do this anymore. And he's like, no, no, you are great at this. Like, really championing me. This is your dream. Like, you love it so much. And um, he said, like, if okay, if the National Theatre turned around to you tomorrow and offered you, you know, Ophelia for six months on the National Stage and stuff, you'd do it. You'd totally do it. I just went, no, I wouldn't he was like why right. not and i was like i so want to be away from you <laughs> 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 oh, <laughs> and I, I tell this story not to be like a hopeless romantic but more like about that uh the things that you are prepared to do and how far your passion would take you and um and i realized i just wasn't that passionate yeah. about it I, di- I had different like responsibilities i also realized like i had a really nice mus- musical career <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> already and um and then I was quite good at that, and uh, I think maybe it took me going off and trying, trying to do that thing to realize that I was good at that, and that I kind of like got the bug for teaching. Yeah, fair. so I went, I went, I went pure teaching in music, and uh, focused my energies on um, that institution. They're called Alra, the Academy of Live and Recorded Art, and I was there um, teaching. Yeah, actors um, fundamentals about singing, um, fundamentals about music. So you've got to imagine this. Um, I guess there were like about 15 in each group, uh, undergraduates and postgraduates. Right. So some of the postgraduates are like older than me. Um, some, some of them around a similar age. And th- there was a range of them from like, done no music theory ever. Nothing, yeah. no singing, like no, nothing on paper, no credentials whatsoever. To performing arts diplomas. Some of the masters have already done professional work. I actually had a... Um, uh, a master's student from a graduate from the RNCM. Oh, Okay. Way better musician than me. <laughs> yeah, I was teaching. Her. <laughs> and um, and then yeah, can't sing, won't sing. You're not making me all the way through to like, oh yes, this is what I want to do. And mm. um, but I had to teach them the same curriculum, which was what's a crotchet and a minim and a quaver <sighs> and uh, yeah. time signature, and uh, it really challenged me because I'd never taught that before. I just yeah. knew it um and then teaching them uh singing and singing in harmony and singing in uh ensembles and um yeah it was really hard
0: it sounds it i always wondered that like when we had our like lessons in, in the rsm stuff and mm. red light like, for, yeah, for example like our theory lessons and everyone was such at like different levels and it's like how do you make mm. this engaging and interesting for everyone without just like some people but being at the back like yeah, yeah. Do, do you know what I mean that did, is...
1: did you did you wonder that when we, you were being taught or is that in hindsight uh
0: no I did I did wonder that I mean I was one of the people that wasn't very good at it so I was engaged <laughs> <wasn't it? Yeah.
1: laughs> I didn't but, really yeah, no. directly teach you guys so I can't pass no on that
0: on that. no I'd, I think I had rather teach me music theory and stuff but yeah. yeah I think that's such a difficult thing to do I mean it's it's hard enough teaching one person about a particular yeah. set of skills but then Expand on that. You you have to be a particular type of person to do it.
1: It felt like being a performing monkey, honestly. Yeah. And um, and I made, I made a really like an error at the beginning of of my career, which it is. It's a career in higher education now. Again, by accident. (laughs) This is how it happens, folks. Everything falls into things. Yeah. Yeah. And um. I just, I didn't have a planned trajectory. Um, but I, yeah, I had an idea of what a higher education teacher was supposed to look like. So I tried really hard mm. and, um, if I've learned anything, well, people, but also students hate that,
2: yeah. um,
1: they, they see right through it and, uh, and that pretension. And, um, and I was, I was trying to kind of imply that I was better than I was as well. And, um, and that's exhausting. Yeah. Um, and I was, I don't know, I was disorganized and I, um, I was making it about me, right. so it was about like how good I'm going to make myself look for them, and um, the penny drop moment came. I didn't expect to be talking about all of this. You're brilliant at this. <laughs> it's like every time a new thing comes up i'm like shit i didn't mean to talk about this yeah, here we are <laughs> see what i mean about the tap though and then it's it just we can't switch it off um the penny drop moment came in like in my first year and at the time they had like a feedback system that students were had the opportunity to feedback on their teachers and right. their classes Okay. error again like you don't <laughs> ask students to feedback because it's like a bloodbath yeah um and it was a bloodbath on like on my classes and my teaching and um Oh, it was, and I was so unaware of it. Like, I honestly thought I was doing all right. And um, I honestly thought they thought I was okay. And, and there was some pretty damning stuff in there. Do you want you want to know what, uh, don't you? You
0: can give me, a, like, you know, as long as it's not too heartbreaking <laughs> for you to, yeah. to go back to that place.
1: No, it was really formative. But, like, I had a lot of kind of she's unprofessional. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Which I now kind of embrace fully, to be honest. Because, yeah. like, what even is professional, to be exactly. honest? Um, but... Uh, It was it was a good challenge. It was a worthwhile Mm. challenge. Um, uh, I had that I was passive aggressive. I think I even had to look up what's passive aggressive. (laughs) Passive aggressive. Yeah. So as in like, I was obviously like trying to kind of just carry on with the class when actually masking that you're really pissing me off. (laughs) 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 Um, And like not yeah, I wasn't telling the truth. Um, Yeah. And I was disorganised and I was very anti backing tracks. Shock horror. Wow. Um, and I challenged myself to play to accompany them on everything, and I'm not the best pianist in the world. and yeah. uh, I, I actually now think I'm probably pretty good for for that area. Like you don't get um, you don't get many like acting singing teachers who is like a dazzling accompanist as well.: it's, Yeah. Oh, maybe you do. I don't know, um, but uh, yeah, I um, I stretched myself too far, and I was I was trying too hard, and they called me on it, and they called me. They went bullshit, and I had the choice really to kind of like throw in the towel and and go um right fine screw you I'm not doing this anymore mm. I'm gonna like go off and continue to pursue my acting career um actually had I given it up? No, I hadn't given it up by that point. Um, And, um, or I could kind of go, right. Okay. Challenge accepted. But I think the penny drop re- moment was realizing that it was about them. It was their education. And yeah. And uh, I, it's really helpful for me to keep coming back to with, with any kind of teaching or uh, anything education related is that, um, uh, yeah, it's, oh, it's all in the service of the student. And, um, if it's not, if you're not, of all of your planning and dancing about and, uh sharing of ideas and stuff isn't going to benefit them then it's then it's pointless really um so I got a bit more human and I I think I, I had a bit of a chat with my master students that was particularly tough because I think f- fair enough they they were kind of coming in and looking at me and going gosh she's so young and she's only you know she's barely out of master's level and mm looking at my credentials and my, my teaching experience and then me trying to, so hard to kind of like impress them, I guess. Uh, and they were calling bullshit and they were, they were playing up to it a bit. And it was just, it was like having a classroom of children. Right. Um, and I think I sat them down and said something along the lines of like, all right, this is, this is what I'm not good at. <laughs> like, This is, I, I don't have children. And, you know, I'm not going to apologize for that. Um, but I will make a commitment to you to, to try and get better at it. Or Mm. like, I'll look into that. Um, I don't know what that is, but I'll find out and I'll learn with you. This is the stuff that I am good at. This is the stuff where I have experience. And if you open your mind up just for a second and give me a chance, you might actually get something out of that. Um, and how I see us kind of working together is working together and not treating you like children. But if you come in and you behave like children, I'll treat you like it. Yeah. So I kind of just said like, ultimatum, Um, they're not going to fire me. <laughs> 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 they ain't got no one else to do this job. Um, So, you know, you can go to the office and put in a petition to like, get me sacked. Fine. Can't stop you. Or you can keep coming in and playing silly buggers and behaving like kids. And I'll treat you like kids. Um, And I'll, we'll do, you know, throwing you out and getting you warnings and all the rest of it. Or we just work, we agree to work together and, um, and work in a more of a collaborative fashion and maybe just maybe you might find that you can get something out of me mm. and they kind of just went, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we worked together and it, it went much better from right. there on in. And then that was the general kind of attitude that I went into classes with. And, um, I started thinking more like in terms of like strategy to my lessons and like, like you say, like you think about more about like, how am I going to engage them? Um, what do I, what do I need from them? How yeah. am I going to enable them to do that? Um, what What do they need? Um, and then I started to, yeah, notice a lot of need, not just in terms of like knowledge, but like needing to feel safe, um, needing to be heard, uh, needing to be stimulated, needing not to be bored and yeah, a lot of needs. And I started addressing meeting those needs in lots of different ways instead.
0: Cool. So... Now, this is interesting. You you say all these things addressing the needs. Mm. So you go from is it Arla? Is that what that uh. she was called?
1: Alra. They Alra. get a lot of that. Yeah. Alra. Uh. It's the Academy of Live and Recorded Arts. yeah
0: So you go from the you come to the RNCM. Uh. That's a wonderful teacher that you are. Thanks. That's fine. So how does this? I mean, to me, this makes all that sense. All these skills that you are picking up along the way. Yeah. And then you you, you start in going into this phd
1: yeah
0: let's go into that yeah let's
1: just, do that sorry i was just giving you like the biography no no this
0: is good because i think this is you know it's relevant oh, it is relevant it, you know this is the, the journey of like you know you, you learning yeah. these things and they all it all ties in so yeah. tell us like what what started that what was the spark for for starting that
1: so I guess the through line in all of this has been um, so first off in teaching is in teaching young adults and teaching creative people has been mental health and I'm saying and because there's um, we've got to be really clear in the jargon that we're using when it comes to this topic. So yeah. you, you talk about mental health and that's something that we all have and well-being and um, it's something that's talked about a lot is banded around a lot. and um, Whereas mental illness is something different. And we don't all have mental illness. Mm. Um, we might have, you know, poor mental health, um, and poor mental well-being, or we might have great mental health or great mental well-being. Um, but it is like categor- categorically diagnosable or undiagnosable, having a mental illness or mental disability. And um I- so the thing I'm concerned about is mental illnesses, that actually the statistics and the number of students coming forward and declaring mental illnesses and struggling with mental illnesses mm. as young creative people um, is staggering. And um, I really care about that stuff. And yeah. um, it affects everything that they do. Um, it affects their ability to learn. It affects their ability to create. um, affects the dynamic of the classroom. Um, and um affects their relationship with me we just everything the livelihood obviously it affects everything but um yeah and i i do seem to have a reputation and i guess a knack for um i, I don't know i guess it's fair to say like people feel safe with me safe yeah, to confide in me
0: I, I, I definitely remember being at college and a lot of like students like some of my friends of mine and some of the younger years like a lot of them would talk about you and you being very approachable and having conversations with you about these sort of things Mm -hmm. you had that sort of air about you of like being approachable i think you know it it completely makes makes sense definitely
1: and i think that is having i think that's partly from having gone through the experiences that i have and come to the conclusions that um enough of the bullshit. So. I'm I'm pretty transparent I talk openly about my own struggles um and yeah um and I really care really care about um education and uh, the young people that I'm teaching I also I have the privilege of working with just some really like decent interesting funny human beings so they start being students and it's more like I'm not saying they start being mates because that's it's a it's a really hard boundary actually but it is a, one of the privileges of higher educations you're both adults and you're all adults and um and and again i look at it as a sharing of skills and stuff anyway so i guess because of that it, we're working on an even and students just do that and they'll, they'll, generally in my experience they're looking for somewhere to to go to with yeah. it they're looking for for help and for support and um yeah, so there's been this this through line, and then this reputation, and then um, I I was approached this year. Um, I don't know. I started thinking about like PhDs and what that meant, and just I guess going deeper with like learning. It's I do find this it's quite funny that with like your learning journey, I got to um like university level, and I was kind of a bit like Ugh, blasé about learning and stuff, and yeah. took for granted, you know, going to university. That was just what you did. And then I, I got into university with, by the skin of my teeth and then got to the end of university, my bachelor's degree, and went, oh, learning's great. <laughs> 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 oh, I really enjoy this. And I want to do more of it, which is why I decided to do a master's. And I wanted to kind of go deeper. And it wasn't just a shit. I don't know what to do with my life. Um... And then, uh, and then people, and then I guess that's where the PhD element comes in. You just go deeper and deeper and deeper in terms mm. of like wanting to know more and learn more, and you get more and more specific about why you're wanting to learn more. So it was, it's always been in the back of my mind of picking an area. But I'm, I am I'm blessed with a mind that is interested in lots and lots of different things and mm. excited and passionate about lots of different things. Often find it difficult to choose one. Um, and it's only in the last few months that I've arrived at the point that i'm at now um so someone approached me about doing some research for the popular music department where i work at at rncm right um because there's not a lot of research being done him funnily enough in pop music in like really specific areas and they said you strike me as someone who might be interested." i'm like yes yes i am interested (laughs) (laughs) please pick me (laughs) and um, and then they mentioned phd and i was just like oh i don't know if now's the right time because i've got two small children they're Mm. three and one and (laughs) I'm <laughs> generally horribly sleep deprived and yeah. like functioning on like a uh, very little sleep and uh, it seems like a really like stupid idea and then actually over the pandemic and through parenting them i've realized that um i really need to be stimulated like mentally yeah um the work being i adore my children and the the like the best human beings around should beat them because they really are. That's like, i uh-huh. just bias, us, but, um, <laughs> but they're little and yeah. um, it's full on. And I need more as like a human being and as a woman and um, I like to think as an intelligent human being. So going back to work has has definitely been one thing that I've needed, but I, I've kind of like found myself like craving a little bit more. Mm. So I wondered if and I thought, well, hell this, you know, might as well just pursue it. Um, and and then um, it's become increasingly obvious that um, mental illness and neurodiversity. So uh, uh, I was going to ask about that, yeah. Yeah, it's
0: on my list, it's
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, mental illness and neurodiversity has been talked about a lot. Uh, mental illness, particularly, and mental health, particularly, over the last few years, and increasingly, like, the momentum of these conversations um, is picking up, but the momentum of, like, the statistics of cases, um, of I say of cases, the the statistics of um, uh, people suffering with mental illness, the statistics of people being diagnosed uh, with neurodiversity, um, mm. are have spiked over the pandemic. I think for lots of different reasons, and uh, in higher education, and I think in music and creative industries, they've spiked as well. Um,
0: can we? Yeah. Pause. Can you define? A- neurodiversity for me.
1: Okay, thanks. Uh neurodiversity so I guess we've got to look at it as like two different brains. Um it's that exciting. So there's neurotypical <laughs> and neurodiverse. Okay. Ah oh, this is where one of my slides would be useful.
0: Okay. Um, are we able
1: to do that or are we are we going to wave ditch them because I can, can just talk just about google it. Can we just google something? Yeah, or? we could google them. Um so I guess maybe like could you George could you george. google <laughs> um lovely george could you google maybe um picture of the um different thinking areas of the brain or something like that what did i do google last night so thinking brain and thinking behaviors picture and then basically you'll get should get an illustration of the brain there we go so the brain is made up of different compartments uh, now i'm not which, a neurobiologist neuroscientist. which one
0: do we want that one?
1: This will do, I think. Let's we zoom I in on say. that, George. So you should have like the prefrontal lobe, the amygdala. Have
0: we got that on there? I, can't. I don't Maybe know. Maybe the one on the left, George. The one on the left corner. That one.
1: But uh, I guess all you, uh, you we need to see is like those different compartments. We've all got those. Mm. And a neurotypical brain, those compartments develop at an expected rate. Right. Um, so I learned with having children that the free uh, the prefrontal cortex um develops at a, a particular rate and we we often say to children, oh, what children like young children why why can't you behave or like you try to rationalize with them about like good and bad and right mm. and wrong and stuff well they the part of their brain that is responsible for rational thinking and logic and like going through a motion of like oh if i do that then the consequences of that will be hasn't developed they literally don't have the brain capacity right. to do that. <laughs> it's not just that they're a little shit.
2: <laughs>
1: I found that really helpful. Yeah. Um, so that a neurotypical brain will develop at a set rate. And, um, and when uh, something happens in life, the part of the the relevant part of the brain will be sig- signaled in a way that you expect it to. A neurodiverse brain. Um, now I need to be clear on this in, in research. I don't want like neurobiologists going, no, wrong. Um <laughs> Uh, develops at a different, can develop at a different rate. Right. Um, but when they're, the responses to certain situations um, could be heightened in different areas of the brain. No. See, that's just like right front, left back. What we want is like the prefrontal cortex, the amygdala.
0: Can you go back to the the, the main search, George? I think there was one. No, I can't one.
1: remember the other words because I'm, I'm just at the beginning of understanding all of this. But I guess like, uh yeah those parts of the brains motor area sensory area yeah so yeah that'll do that'll do for now um so like the sensory area for for example yeah uh, the bit that is responsible for a uh, like touch sense um uh, touch taste hearing pain things like that the re- yeah uh the receptors uh, might be particularly heightened for someone who is neurodiverse right um, so um and the uh, the prefrontal cortex might be um react less um to a neurotypical in certain situations and is that
0: something that is so they're naturally born with yeah. this type of right okay so
1: it's neurological yeah and um i've been finding out uh, the causes uh, again widely widely researched and there's not a, a great deal of answers for lots of questions but um uh the causes can be genetic Mm. um uh there's there's very other things but there isn't like it's not like a kind of like something happened and now that this it's not an but it's not a deficiency either it just um it's not like a kind of um it's it's difficult the language around this as well because you talk about mental disability and um I, i I actually did a little table just for fun last night with uh, mental illness and the things that are considered to be mental illnesses underneath it, which are things like um, anxiety, depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, um, eating disorders, um, bipolar disorder, uh, borderline personality disorder. So all under mental illness. And then I put neurodiversity. And then some of the same things appear. So, right. um, and then, but some also, also some of the different things. So under neurodiversity, there's um, ADHD, which is attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder. Autism uh, spectrum disorder, which is otherwise known as ASD now. Um, uh, there's obsessive compulsive disorder, but there's also dyslexia mm. and dyspraxia. Because again, it's about the way that the brain functions.
2: Yeah.
1: And then I put in mental disability. And again, some of the same names appear, but then some others. So under disability, there was um, different types of psychosis. Um, So the disability being that it prevents you from carrying out day-to-day functions, I guess. Um, But obsessive compulsive disorder, again, was in there. Um, uh, ADHD and autism were both in there as a disability. Um, And I can't remember the others. So yeah, we've got, um, that's a really great.
2: Little. Yeah, little diagram. Diagram
1: um acquired neurodiversity so i like i cannot impress enough i am at the very beginning of understanding all of this but part of me neurodiversity came to my attention through um some uh, so so some personal close personal friends and um and family um being diagnosed receiving diagnosis of neurodiversity and right. then there being quite a lot of talk on social media hate saying that in a way because I don't know about you but there seems to be this like divide of people are either like oh I'm not on social media or they're like all about their Instagram and like digital yeah. content and um I've increasingly um become really engaged with and interested in and enjoying digital content mm. and particularly through Instagram and it's really relevant to the work that I do uh, both in teaching and in industry so and um, the, and there's a lot of content available out there in terms of like information and um I noticed a lot being reported about um uh undiagnosed adult ADHD and autism, um, and there being a spike in diagnosed cases over the pandemic. And this being that it wasn't recognized in childhood because uh socially and culturally we we learned to behave and operate in quite like a set way, or yeah. like I guess generationally we have. Mm-hmm. Um, or certainly, I was that you know this is good behavior, this is bad behavior, you don't do this and and I guess through that conditioning and through the kind of your cultural influences you and learnt behavior you just you you make yourself operate in a particular way, mm. particularly girls, apparently because again, cultural conditioning tells us that girls should behave uh, in a feminine fashion and yeah. in an orderly fashion, and that you know women and girls should do this and um uh this is a very 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 kind of like quick way, I guess of explaining it so um and for women who actually have underlying symptoms of ADHD they've learned to mask them unknowingly um and then through the pandemic all everything's been stripped away so our social yeah. interactions our work our activities our hobbies and we're put into isolation so you think all of that's your comfort and the things that you um You bounce off and and help you to keep operating Mm. um and with that all stripped away you're left with kind of the raw uh you know what's
0: at uh, the bottom yeah Yeah, the raw the
1: raw basis of like of human beings and um and i think i I think through that a lot of people have found that man i really struggle with this and they've then sought help from a gp and and then investigated these anyway long-winded explanation later and you arrive at an actual formal like diagnosis but it's really powerful though and it's very common in creatives neurodiversity
0: okay Mm. and that is is that just purely i guess as a creative mind is this sort of like a a genetic makeup that would allow someone to be more creative and therefore they might have these certain traits within their sort of genetic makeup is that a thing or are, are we are we is it more? Is it more nurture than nature? You know what I
1: mean. Um, I think. Uh, I think it's so. What the argument is, I guess. What the what the the uh, research is presenting that again, I'm interested in and want to find out more yeah, about is yeah. that the neurological makeup of someone who is classified as neurodiverse lends itself to creative industries. Okay. So, um, like being very aesthetic um very sensory so aware of how things look um how things sound mm. um how things feel um so um yeah there's reported like um reportedly a large number of people with uh, um, ASD or ADHD who are very musical um or yeah. artistic uh, because of those traits um that um they may be more suited to those industries because they're kind of a little bit all over the place or like <laughs> like uh i don't know um i just uh yeah um one of the symptoms there's so much that i didn't know one of the symptoms of adhd is um having like so much passion um and uh, and an emotion um and empathy and so you feel things really powerfully um which is a strength and a great thing but almost to the point where um you uh, you feel them like so powerfully like i way deeper and more powerfully like very reactionary like mm. more than a neurotypical person would okay um that can often be kind of culturally just like shrugged off as um <sighs> wow that was like a bit over the top like over dramatic or like <laughs> um unnecessary and and actually it's something that they they can't control um they tend to have a lot to say Mm. um a a lot of thoughts all at once um, and struggle to organize them in separate files or have any kind of like succinct fashion and they struggle with impulse control which is the overwhelming desire to share information so they end up interrupting or taking over you might see where i'm going with this
0: (laughs) it all makes sense Mm. so this is really interesting Yeah. so the other thing was ethnographical
2: yeah
1: yeah Ethno- ethnography. <laughs> i know yeah good question so I've, many again words. we only just found this out recently yeah so when approaching a phd i was like oh, i'm not gonna, I'm not, gonna be, I'm not clever enough and isn't a phd where you you know research and research going to a library and reading a lot of books and um i love books but i really struggle to like stay focused um on one thing at a time or i get really, 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 really intensely focused on something and you cannot talk to me. Like I cannot be distracted. It's like complete tunnel vision. Um, I was like, I'm gonna really struggle with this. Yeah. I'm not the personality type. Um, And I was uh seeking some advice. Um, I won't say names just in case people are embarrassed or whatever, I was seeking advice from a colleague Um, who if she does listen to this, it's been amazing help. And it's just one of those people who you immediately like spark off and you're like, oh yeah, I'm excited about that too. Mm. And, um. And she said, and she's done a PhD, and she said, go and look up um, ethnography. So I did, and it's it's basically research by where you uh, through your personal practice, um, so and that can have a slant of um, self reflection, personal reflection, reflective writing, creative writing. Mm. Um, so thesis is no longer, and research is no longer need to be kind of um, presented in one fashion or or particularly linear. They don't just have to be like a written, uh, you know, um, book with written research with other books that you've referred to or other yeah. people or whatever. Um, um, obviously, information goes on to the World Wide Web a lot these days, but um, uh, it goes into kind of like face-to-face interviews and um, and actual real-life case studies. Um, there's practice-based research, which has become more and more um common and popular which is through the actual act of of like making and creating something new okay. so uh, particularly in PhDs in music you have a performance or composition pathway where um you are looking specifically at like the kinesthetic um actions of like performance and composition so all of your writing is about what you've practiced doing or you might actually end up submitting something that's recorded or something that's performed and then you're marked on that So ethnography or ethnographical for me would be not just like based on like my information and the stuff that I found out, Mm. but like my reflection of it and, and my creative writing and, um, I guess maybe a little bit of my like teaching practice or, um, yeah, that's what I'm going to create through it.
0: Okay. I think that's kind of, it's very similar (laughs) to, um, Rod's PhD stuff. Have you been on his PhD uh-huh. website? Yeah, that was amazing. It was I love. amazing. I love the way he like put that. out. I've never seen anything like that. But it's so engaging as well. Yeah, yeah. Just from because obviously the research isn't meant to be just read by you know doctors. And like you yeah, know, it was like yeah. it, it made it more accessible and really engaging. And I think that's important if you
1: want people to learn. Yeah. From
0: stuff like that. Um, yeah, I that think cool. that's what
1: I've learned, and that's what's really excited me. Is like the possibility, not just for me, is you know, the little Jen who really wants to kind of know more and find out things. And um it's just actually in terms of sharing what you find out and sharing mm. research, um, it's way more accessible and approachable. Yeah. And and I yeah, I can say this, I'm not right, I don't really like being or being in danger of being that person who's like blows their own trumpet. But it I did suddenly feel like I'm absolutely the right person to be doing this. Like, yeah. Um another colleague said to me that you pursue an area of research because you I, you believe you're an expert in that field mm-hmm. and you want to become more specialist and more like and you um i'm a, I'm actually in the proposal status so i'm trying to convince them to say let, let me let me do this and and give me money to do it and uh, support me in doing it um so i guess like yeah i'm i'm an expert in um higher education creative young people people young Creative people in higher education suffering with mental illness and neurodiversity. It turns out as well, and uh, I'm an expert in terms of direct experience of being a person with mental illness Mm -hmm. um, in the music industry as well. Um, And I'm an expert in the popular music industry. I'm an artist development specialist, don't you know? So (laughs) uh, I'm yeah, I'm an expert in the kind of the music industry and the popular music industry. So I thought I'm 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 absolutely like perfectly placed to to further this and i'm just super super passionate about um there being some change and uh, yeah yeah I, I and this is what i want to ask other people about as well and open up conversations about it
0: yeah so what's your kind of what's the goal Jen? yeah what's the goal what, what are you aiming to
1: what's uh, you know i guess like uh first and foremost it would just it would just be wonderful to see like um. It would look wonderful to see um, young people's experience of higher education, young artists' experience of higher education, um, being like being more positive, like mm. um, n- n- in spite of like their struggles, in spite of like their mental illness. Um, I'd love to see. Now, I I do get that like that so many institutions are doing so much. There are so many resources being developed all the time, and I want to find out more about them and mm. why more students don't ask access them why more musicians don't access them um how those resources can be improved um i guess so my my thesis title at the moment is uh, mental illness and neurodiversity in popular music how education can cultivate change and reshape perception Mm. um from kind of the industry so i i i would like to see a significant shift like complete um change in the way that people talk about mental illness and refer to them yeah i'd like to see like way 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 more because we celebrate it because it's it's new and strange like people opening up about about mental illness and stuff but i think i still think we're a long way up yeah you know, definitely normalizing <laughs> yeah um, definitely. and breaking that taboo down um i'd like to see i'd like to see way less suffering and like of it and and um and this is going to sound really naff I just don't want like young people going through like young adulthood to struggle in the same way that I have struggled and mm. um and 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 like those before me and um I don't want my kids to be up against that or fighting up against that not, yeah. not that my kids are going to have mental illnesses I don't know but you know we never know and um and it not be kind of such an inhibitor and stigmatized and um it's definitely like a minority group people with mental illness and um, I think people are discriminated against and mistreated, and anyway, yeah, change is what I want fundamentally. Go watch Boom, activist.
0: That's no, great. And um, I want
1: to, I want to get better at dealing with this stuff. I'm like, I hold my hands up, and I'm um, really flawed, and I mess up a lot. I've made a lot of mistakes already in talking about this stuff, and I want there to be some really like positive end outcome to me going on and on and on and on and on about stuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's great, Jen. I think it's, mm-hmm. I think it's a really valuable area that you're doing. I think you are the right person to do it, genuinely. it. It makes sense. Like all the, just going through your journey. So it seems like all the things points towards this yeah. this thing that you're doing. It's yeah. great. So if people want to follow this journey or, mm. you know, this is it somewhere that people can have a look at this sort of stuff?
1: Yeah, so I am... Um during the pandemic got into like the digital content creation and my personal instagram became more more and more children so if you want to see beautiful children feel free to follow my personal Instagram. (laughs) but um i needed a place to kind of siphon off my professional stuff and um and i'm just at a stage where i'm doing more academia than i am like musical performance so um and i started trying to uh start uh, create conversations in my personal instagram and it felt like it needed a a, like a separate forum yeah so i have an instagram account called creative mind den
0: creative mind Mind Den. Den.
1: yeah it was kind of like a play around with like creative minds and then i don't know i had this like visualization of it being like a a safe den where everyone (laughs) kind of gets together (laughs) and we drink tea and coffee and it's cozy and warm and like we can talk about everything and it's like and it's okay, and yeah. there's no judgment, and um, safe space, as you have said you, yourself a few times. Um, yeah, so Creative Minds Den, and um, I, yeah, I'm still working on that. Like the, but the idea be, behind creating digital content is like there'd be, a, you know, it's a, just a vehicle for my research, Yeah, even if it's just like a quote here and there, mm-hmm. uh, like a load of memes and stuff. Uh, I actually I find the poll polling system on stories and stuff really useful. I've been told that it's not like a reliable source of like, research. So you're not going to see like in my thesis on my Instagram poll, <laughs> in, you know, April, 2021. Um, but it, it's definitely like, um, there's some really thought provoking stuff that comes out of there. So it's really helpful for me. Cause I can see like, Oh, I want to go more in like this direction. Yeah. And, um, it's just been some like really gorgeous conversations come out of it um it's been a real affirming thing for some people i know so like i i, I like i say i i do it kind of naturally just talk and share and stuff and then people will get in touch with me and go like thank you so much like mm. um it's made me feel less alone and it's actually made me think like i might struggle in this area and it'd be such a relief to like find out that there was an actual reason yeah. and um so that was part of the purpose of it so yeah follow creative creative mind then for, i guess for like cool updates on and if people
0: want to approach you and talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. There's yeah. an
1: email button on there. Sweet. Um I I do have a website which is jenklempnermusic.com. Jen with two ends. Jen with two ends. Jen with two n's, with two n's. Uh, And Klempner, C L E M P N E R. I have to spell that every day of my life. <laughs> um such a weird Surname, her name and um yeah jen clampin music has got like all my kind of uh, variety of work and stuff that i do and you can contact me through there and i'm going to create a um, separate phd researchy bit there as well
0: awesome well jen it's been a real pleasure talking to you today and you thank I've, you so much i've learned a lot i've learned a lot of stuff okay. um, i'm really excited to see what you what you do with this research because i think it's really valuable i yeah. think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it thank you i do have one more question oh for okay you um if you could sum this podcast up <laughs> in three words what would it be now do you want me to do one and then you do one as an example
1: yeah go on
0: um informative uh inspiring delightful
1: Ha. Oh, thanks you does it have to be positive <laughs>
0: no it could be horrible if you think it's just a load of bullshit you could, oh, you i'm could just a realist
1: that. i'm gonna say exhausting because like, like <laughs> i'm tired <laughs> talking about it <laughs> i'm tired talking about it you might be listening to it going it is it's exhausting but it's worth it it's worth, it's worth it. it it's worth it so that's one word so that exhausting we're going,
0: exhausting
1: um important important and um challenging
0: nice exhausting important challenging (laughs) that's That's a real mixed bag
1: yeah like just like me (laughs) (laughs) that's great
0: um i hope you people at home have enjoyed this conversation remember if you need to speak to jen you can do through her instagram or a website or whatever we're going to be having more of these discussions in november um as part of the mental health awareness with all that sort of thing so please subscribe to us on youtube and we're going to be having some more of these discussions. Jen, is there anything you want to say to people at home or you've done talking? She's done
2: talking. Okay. <laughs> so
0: we'll be back next week with John Ellis, who's a music producer in Manchester. who's worked with a lot of really fantastic artists. Um, so please tune in for that. Oh, I've got my own camera. I'm not used to having my own camera. It's, 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 nice. it's a
1: special day. It is a
0: special day. Um, so I hope you've enjoyed watching it at home and we will see you again next
2: week. Have a good day, evening, wherever you are, and we'll see you soon. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to catch up on new episodes
0: every week. Also, check us out on our Facebook and Instagram at Rec Rooms, where you can find out about our other exciting music series. We also have this and all our other episodes of the
2: podcast up on our Rec Rooms YouTube channel for your viewing pleasure. See you next time.